All right, welcome back, everybody. Thirsty Thursday, number 47. Tonight, we are honored to be joined by two gentlemen from the Hazmat Guys, or they are the Hazmat Guys. Um, if you're not sure what that is, you need to go to their website and check them out, thehazmatguys.com, um, for all of your hazmat needs. Um, so it's going to be a great show tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, that first arriving company, what, what needs a hazmat response, what do we need to tell them, uh, that kind of stuff, and then... Uh, kind of the topic that, or the hot topic that's going around everywhere right now, uh, and is, is a big issue is the lithium-ion battery stuff, which I know uh, they're both super excited and pumped to talk about. But um, you know, we're going to do it anyway. So, thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us. It's a it's a pleasure to have you. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Oh yeah, lithium-ion. So I don't want you to know I. Uh, I've watched your show, so I know I know you're fucking with us. So, <laughs> damn it! <laughs> I was sitting there just staying. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to see how long you go, but oh, um, I, I would have the whole show. I was just going to start talking and see what he could do. Oh my God. <laughs> so, also, if you can't tell, this is going to be a, a lot of fun tonight. So, um, again, sit back, enjoy. Uh, there's going to be a lot of good nuggets coming out. So, take down notes as we go, and if not, you can watch it. Uh, or listen to it later too. So, uh, with that, well, we'll kick it over to Mike to my right, left, whichever, and uh, we'll go from there. Which Mike? You Mike. Mike. Oh, me Mike. Oh, okay. yeah. What, you Mike. What, what am I supposed to say? Just a little intro about yourself and. Sure, sure. Uh, my name is Michael Monaco. I am a New York City firefighter. I'm in Hazmat Company One. I've been there for uh, too many years now at this point. And uh, I'm also a hazardous materials uh, specialist with the city and teach uh, across the country, as well as um, the not so better half of the hazmat guys. <laughs> Trevor. Awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, really excited about the show tonight. I've been looking forward to it for a while. Um, before I even start again, uh, Bobby and uh, Mike Wood want to thank you guys. In addition to Ray McCormick last week, we were out in uh, Wichita, Kansas, teaching hot class out there. Uh, phenomenal, as it always is, but, uh, you know, could not have been with a better group of instructors. Uh, again, looking really forward to tonight. And, um, you know, especially uh, we were talking a little bit pre-show about some things and some uh, preconceived notions, some conceptions, everything else. I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, Mike Monaco and Salvo, taking us to school on some of these things. Cause I know your pre-show Mike had said, Hey, I'm going to push back on a couple of things. I look forward to that because this is all about the learning experience. Um, collectively, we don't have the reps and sets. These guys are doing it on a much more regular basis. They have the, the freshest data. Um, most of what we're getting is kind of stale. So um, you know, with that being said, you know, I really, really look forward to the information that's going to come out of tonight's shows. And uh Ben, I don't know what your rotation is going to be, so I'm going to shut up now and you tell the next person to talk. <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to kick it down to Cuddles. <laughs> that, that, that's his prison name. Easy. <laughs> well, Sorry, welcome, every, welcome, everybody. Uh, Bobby McGee, a lieutenant in the city fire department. i uh, been around for a couple of years myself. Uh, and I think that the Salvo guy looks really like a really good conservative talk show host to me right now with that the gear he's got on. So look forward to hearing what he has to say. Uh, and uh, I'll turn it over. Salvo, if you want to introduce yourself, and then we'll go to Mike last. Baltimore's always last. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, I'm Bobby Salison. I'm the other half of the Hazmat guys. 
Uh, I did uh, 25 years in New York City Fire Department. Final assignment was in Hazmat 1. I was in Squad 288 for, um, I don't know, 10, 12 years or something like that before that. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. We we try to make the uh, – you don't know if it's a comedy show or a hazmat show. So we try yeah. to play both. It's like chemistry and fart jokes. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it always works. They always work for some reason. All right, Mike Wood, go ahead. All right, guys. Um, I, I'm going to throw out a thank you to Bobby and Trevor for uh, an awesome time out in Wichita. And then uh, uh, thanks for being here to Mike and Salvo. And uh, I can see that Salvo's got uh, – you got a lot to go through tonight. I just kicked this this morning, and yep. so we're going to get going. Yeah, I, I like it, man. You're, you're prepping. You're prepping. Um, <laughs> I, I'm interested. I can't wait to, to hear a lot of this. Uh, it is something that usually gets put on the back burner. I know it's uh, that way a lot up the, up the road in Baltimore, and it's something that we definitely need to delve into a lot deeper down here in Ocean City. Um, I, I like the down and dirty, man. So I'm, I'm without without further delay, let's uh, get these glow worms talking. Sounds good. Uh, one of the things that we kind of, I, I think, to start is, um, you know, in the places that we work with the exception of, of – um, Michael, whichever, yeah, below Trevor, um, you know, we don't have a dedicated hazmat company to, to respond on, uh, in our department. So I think, you know, what is, you know, what are kind of the, some of the criteria and things to say, oh shit, this is bigger than what we were anticipating, or this is, you know, way beyond our scope. And like, what are the, oh. the, criteria to, to start a hazardous materials response. Can, Mike, can I do this one? Yeah, go ahead, Bob. All yours. Right. <laughs> I wanna, so I wanna, do... well, let, me, let me translate for Ben first. He said, when we don't know what the hell we're doing, what do we do? Yeah, this is the funny thing because it's, it, it's unique. New York City is, is a little unique. We have so many freaking guys. We have 11,800 guys. So when we say we have one hazmat company for the city, it blows a lot of people's mind. Like, how do you have only one 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 company so we have two rigs with eight guys right and four of them must be specialists now when you say all right well what is a specialist in normal parlance depending on where you are in in, in the country uh technician level is let's say 120 hours could be 80 hours uh in some extreme cases it's like 160 hours and then even in places that are like regarded as a lot like California, that's an additional 80 hours. Um, I sat down with pencil and paper and I figured out all the classes that we're responsible to do, all the sign-offs, all the training, all the stuff, and we are about plus 3,000 hours. So, like, our running joke is you have to work really hard to suck because that's (laughs) all we do. Like, you have to, I mean, we don't do hydrants, we don't do building inspections, we don't go, we don't have alarms, the only time we go out is when the the battalion or, or, or the chief special calls us in. So we only seen the craziest crap that's on the street. And so when, when you ask the question of like, you know, how do you know you can handle it? When you come into special operations school, and this is not like, you know, a pat on the back or anything, but they tell you, they're like, nothing's too heavy, hard, high, hard, like nothing. They're like, there's nobody coming after you. Like there is, we don't have, we have a, mutual aid agreement i have never 
seen somebody come into New York City to handle one of our jobs other than 9-11. Never. So they don't want to hear hazmat can't handle it or rescue or squad can't handle it. They're like, just make it go away. Right. Figure right. it out. Well, That's I think, it. I think from a, a, an engine point of view, you're, are you referring to also that first new company sitting there going, holy crap, do I need hazmat? Yeah. Yeah. So if, if you, if those, if the thoughts go through your mind where you're like, oh crap, I don't know what I'm doing, which is a totally like honest thing to go through your mind, you should be calling in a hazmat company. Even if it turns out 10 minutes later, you were just having a brain fart, your brain cells connected and you were like, oh, I can just yeah. do this. At least get them on the road, get them rolling. Because it doesn't mean that they have to show up, but you have access to them. You'll get to talk to them. Uh, and this is in, you know, the, at least in New York City, but everywhere I go is the same. <clears throat> the guys in the hazmat are always ready to make contact with the people on scene before they even get there. They're always ready to figure out what's going on. And they always want to be turned around before they get there. So and, they're, and, more than, <laughs> they're more and than... And if you're on overtime, they can sure slow the operation yeah. down. <laughs> So it's we don't make like your overtime, time. but we make your overtime a lot longer. Right. So standard operating procedure then um, would be if we arrive on scene and our size up is, holy crap, we don't know what we're doing. This should be a hazmat. I feel like almost every call needs to be a hazmat. That's probably the... I Explain, because when you say that, are you coming from the point of view of thinking about rolling up on a hazmat scene, or are you saying that from the point of view of literally every call? <laughs> right. Yeah. Depending mm. on your jurisdiction, it could be every single call. Well, then, then no, yeah. Um, what, I, I, you know, I'll tell you, one of the big things, of course, we get up the road um, is you get into these old warehouses, and um, so we have these different multi-occupancy storefronts and things like that, much like I, you guys have them littered all over FDNY. Um, but you know, they go through that transitional phase where one week it's this one week, it's that, um, you know, they, they change their storefronts. Like, like we change underwear and well, some of us, and you don't know what gets left behind. You don't know what gets stored upstairs, what gets stored downstairs. And, um, you know, you arrive and um, you, you, you kind of size up what's happening there and we could see uh, a variety of different things occurring. What, um, what would be some, in your guys' minds, uh, one of the big things I'm curious of, what are some tells? What, what are some common tells that, are, that you would consider like dead giveaways for you guys need to be thinking along the terms of hazmat for this? Uh, so... There is a correlation between hazmat responses, like I need the hazmat and training, right? And I hate to say it this way, but like if you tra you train your engines and trucks to be better, then hazmat responses go down because they're able to handle more stuff. And they are only turning out the hazmat company or getting that response in truly exceptional things. Like for I'll give you a quick example is that uh, there was a um, – a weird one, right? This was, uh, and and I, I highly recommend, we did a whole show on this, Mike, about the coffee place, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Truck company goes to this coffee roaster uh, in Hipsterville, 
which is in in our area, it's Bushwick, which is literally where they invented crack. Like seriously, that's the birthplace of crack. So anyway, there's a hipster uh, roaster there, and he's making beans. And they the truck company goes in there and they get like 100, 150, 200. And they're like, what the hell? So they do the shut off the things. They vent at the place. They bring in the second meter, 100, 150, 200. Hazmat comes in with seven meters, 100, 150, 200. Okay, that's beyond training. That's a little bit of a weird one. But if they're able to say, I can figure this out on my own, then you don't have the hazmat runs. So training at the lower levels is going to be a much bigger impact and saying, no, it's not an option. You are going to learn this stuff. And I know it's not the sexiest thing in the world, and I hate saying that, but if you're if it's not the sexiest thing in the world, get better instructors. You see how everything kind of plays off each other? It comes down to like honestly, it comes down to the instructors, is my mind. Yeah. No, they're no, good, good, yeah. Mike. Well, I was gonna say, and then we you could also look at things from the point of view of very strictly by the law, by the regulations, and by the book, right? So we have trained our firefighters up to the operations level point of view if you don't have operations mission specific and you think you have something in the air you call hazmat if there's product that needs to be dealt with well firefighters are not supposed to be coming in contact with product that's mitigation that is an offensive uh you know technique firefighters are really strictly defensive with the exception of life safety so in in sitting there and working should i should i call hazmat shouldn't i the the ultimate you have to call hazmat is if anybody is going to become intimate with the product if you're going to become intimate with the product in any way shape or form it's a job for a technician no and, I, like and I, I i agree with that wholeheartedly and a lot of times i think as you know firefighters company level officers we move at the speed of two things uh instruction and experience and or actually three things instruction experience and comfort zone so, you know, if maybe somebody is, is a hazmat ops, maybe even a hazmat tech, they have a different perception of what may need to be done going forward. And like you guys are saying, too, from a firefighting aspect, we're balls to the wall, whereas from hazmat, we're more analytical. You know, it's we 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 uh, it's it slow as smooth and smooth as fast. I mean, it's, it's going to be a slower process versus just stretching a line, going at it. You know, we're trying to assess things and. Um, Mike, if you don't mind, uh, I want to kind of delve into it a little bit. Well, and I'll throw the question out there that was given to me this morning. Uh, one of my shift commanders is like, hey, and they look with all these EVs and uh, hoverboards and electric bikes and X, Y, and Z. Um, yeah, what would you think of this? If if, if we had a, an EV in a garage, it's going to take, you know, might take us more water. Um, and this is spurred on by some of the issues we're having on the West Coast of Florida from the flooding uh, in the wake of Hurricane Ian. And he said, you know, would, it, would it be improper for me to, you know, if I'm fighting a EV fire in a garage to think about latching onto that thing with a winch and pulling it out there? So I'm just fighting a vehicle fire, not a, uh, you know, a repetitive house fire and a vehicle fire. I'm like, actually, it's not a bad idea. But, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking it through. I said, if, if, it, if it's safe and it seemed common sense, maybe. But, you know, that's something that I've never dealt with in my 35 years where um, but. And Mike, you you had a you had a, per, a perception of this because you again you guys have the reps and sets. You're seeing this through a completely yeah. different lens, and that's why you're here. So um, I want you to be. I don't want you to be the man. I want you to be the bus driver and take the man. <laughs> to Go for it. Okay. All right. So it, it, what I actually was pushing back on what you didn't say in in the summary was, um, you know, 
we're using tons of water to put this fire out. And that was the line I was going to push back on because what, what, and, and we can look at this from a whole bunch of points of view, but I really, um, I really feel like at this point I need to be dressed up in like a, a Disney Elsa costume running around going, let it burn, let it burn. Because that's ultimately what, what my viewpoint is, is let it burn. And I agree with everything you said, with the exception of we're putting the fire out. We are not putting the fire out. Nobody has ever put out a EV battery fire. It's so, not happening. So to give you a dated reference, this is kind of like going back to the uh, magnesium engine blocks of the Volkswagens that, you know, it runs out of fuel. You, you think you're doing a good job. And but at the end of the day, you know, no, it's going to go out no matter whether or not we show up. It's just a yeah. matter of time. Just yes. And so so give it the time. So here's I agree with you 100 percent. Right. So and we look at this from everything we do in hazmat. We look at from a risk versus reward. Right. What are we willing? What are we willing to give? What are we willing to sacrifice? And ultimately, what's the benefit? And some of these things may not be a risk for your community, but we're talking about across the country. And so I, I, I can try to speak for, for multiple different places. What, what is my what is my risk? What is my reward? Well, let's talk about putting the quote unquote, putting a fire out of an EV car. As long as I have no exposures, right? So as long as I have nothing else that I am particularly worried about. So as an instant commander, I may have to say, I'm going to sacrifice the garage to protect the house, right? And we have to be okay with that. Once exposures are taken care of, what are we gaining by putting out the fire or trying to put out the fire right because we're not actually putting out the fire the, these batteries are going to burn in the presence of water not in the presence of water the only thing that we are actually doing is slowing down the propagation of heat from one battery cell to another and if we're slowing down the propagation of heat from one battery cell to another in the end we haven't accomplished anything the only thing we have done is wasted a tremendous amount of water and a tremendous amount of resources to watch a, a car smolder instead of spending a few seconds stepping back, protecting our exposures and watching a car burn. Because a EV car will burn within 15 minutes to 45 minutes to completion. Whereas if I'm gonna put water on it, all I'm doing is making that chemical reaction delete and it's taking me five, 10, 15, sometimes 24 hours of pouring water on it before we have, yay, put the fire out, which we haven't actually done. So that's that's my point of view. Yes, I agree with everything that you said uh, before the, the show. The thing I didn't agree with is saying we're putting the fire out because we're not putting the fire out. I, I haven't ever put out a battery fire. Can Mike, you're, you're, you're making way too much sense. <laughs> can, I, right. can i add something in there like um when we were before I, I i retired which is only like whatever two months ago we were having a conversation with the chiefs and all this other stuff and it was like all right what are we doing about these <clears> fires <throat> and 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 the idea is if you like mike said if you put water on these things you're slowing the propagation you're not stopping it and so let's say company one pulls up and they are throwing water on this car. All they're doing is slowing it down. And they're going to be there for a long time. So people are like, all right, why don't we get a pickup truck with a little pump 
that'll come in and it will replace it because we can't put an energy company out of service for 24 hours just throwing water. Okay, that makes sense. You you can't have all those guys sitting there. Let's get them back in service. We'll put the pickup truck there, and they can just lob it from the hydrant, and the guy can play you know uh, crosswords on his, on his phone or whatever the hell it is. Then it came down, is there a better way? Well, the better way is to let it burn so that the water actually goes in the battery. Well, how long does that take? It takes 10, 15, 20 minutes for you actually to create a hole in the battery compartment so the water actually goes in it. Okay, that sounds great. Why don't we just do that? I said, do you guys have any idea about the PR perception of that at this point? Because now you have an engine company that's going to be pulling up to an, a car fire and saying, let me wait 10 minutes. And then there's company one on Tic Tac or the Insta Snap or the Snap of Fire, whatever the hell the kids have today, right? Your, your company one's all over it representing the New York City Fire Department. And they're just standing there with their hands in their pockets while this car burns. Why do we pay taxes? What do we do? What are these guys standing there doing? There's a tactic there. And the thing is, is that either do it or don't do it. And what we're seeing is, is 200 years of tradition unimpeded by progress. We're seeing fire chiefs that are smashing square pegs into round holes. They're trying to apply fire tactics and outcomes to hazmat incidents, and it does not work. You either have to have a new book and a new mindset or leave it to somebody else that has the idea. And, and in fairness, Salvo, that was part of the chief's test. I mean, if you got a square pig in a round hole, they gave you a white helmet and sprinkled some fairy dust <laughs> and on it. And a bigger never... hammer, man. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's, we, we, that was the biggest thing is like, well, why don't we just, you know, like put it out? I understand it, but it's not going to work here. Yeah, and, and, and I think, you know, you're 110% correct because, you know, sometimes it's coming down to optics. Um, and I – I the last I hate politics with a passion, and it's one of those things. It reminds you of the, the uh, Norman Rockwell lithograph with the the, the pipe man with the big uh, you know underwriter's play pipe putting out the fire. It looks great, but sometimes you're just pissing on something just to make it look good. And that, that not saying that that's our our focus and our goal, but yeah, you know, we have to realize too that when we're committing our firefighters to fighting these fires, there's an inherent risk. We don't know what's going to explode, what's going to happen, what's you know. And we're putting them in the front line. So, you know, I think we have to be very cautious, and, and to, you know, to your point, and be realistic. And I'd much rather explain to a citizen, uh, a, a you know, news journalist, a mayor, a commissioner, whomever, why we employed a certain tactic versus arbitrarily, you know, employ our people to go out there, put themselves at risk for something that they know is just going to run out of fuel. And I mean, uh, you know, to, to your guys' point, you know, I think that we need to worry less about optics and more about you know strategy and tactics that are going to you know have a, a positive outcome. Uh, you know, not not for the newspaper or our report at the end of the day, but for the incident. Right, and, and there is a. Go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead, Mike. I was going to say there is a there's there's risk that needs to be assessed that a lot of people are not thinking about. Uh, water, the amount of water that we use. There are some parts of this country that fresh water is a risk. You know, you go to the area that I'm in right now in, in California, their town can't afford 30,000 gallons of water to put on a, a car fire. It's just not accessible. And then you have the toxic stuff that's coming off of these cars. Um, within the first with the first couple of minutes of a, of a car fire, 
or a battery going. So let's just so we're, we're on the same page as this, right? You have a, a, a fire that starts in a single battery and it spreads. So when I say the first few seconds of a fire, I'm talking about every time a new cell ignites, it's giving off some seriously toxic uh, volatile organic chemicals as well as hydrofluoric acid gas. All right. So there's HF coming off on this. If I were to just let it burn, a lot of my smoke and products are hot and they're going straight up in the air. Think about when we actually fight a car fire. If we're wearing our masks, the moment we actually hit the, the water on the fire, we start to cool off that smoke and everything banks down for a little while. So if I'm not fully masked, and I'm not talking about just the person fighting the fire, but think of the whole scene, how sometimes that smoke banks down at a car fire. Yeah, the guys on the line might be wearing their mask, but your command post isn't wearing their mask. The first two truck isn't wearing their mask. The other companies are not wearing their mask. And we're not allowing that smoke to just go ahead and vent and get away from us as quickly as possible. That is containing massive amounts of volatile organic compounds, POF3s, phosphates, and uh, your hydrogen fluoride. So letting it burn also gives you the ability to have those gases escape in a, in a, in a column straight up versus knocking that smoke down to ground level. I had a question for you guys. Go. Um, so, um, and I, I, this is, I'm learning stuff already. This is kind of cool. Uh, but um, what are we, what are some of the things we can do uh, when people are at risk? Um, so it's a two part question. So um, if there's a fire and there's other people at risk, say a, a, a parking under a building is occupied or uh, some of those things, and the second part of the question, or people trapped in cars adjacent to it, or, or whatever. Um, so, how, what, is there anything we can do to, to, to control it just in, for the time to get people out? And the second question is I heard that they have a problem where the wheels generate energy. And so, if they're damaged and not burning, if you move it, it can create a fire. Um, so, just if you can walk through some of the things about if, it, if people are at risk, what are some of the things that we should or shouldn't do when we come up on these EV vehicle fires? So when it comes to life risk, like everything else that we do in hazmat, um, risk versus reward. And we need to then take everything that we talked about and literally just throw it out the window, right? Because all the stuff that we're, that we talk about when we talk about this, we're literally looking at the idea that life has already been established, right? That there is no more life risk and we're here to protect the environment and the property. So the moment life comes into play, we that risk reward analysis now tips towards risk where i would say before what is my reward for putting out a car fire nothing because the car is destroyed it's going to be totaled um the the insurance company is is writing the whole thing off i haven't saved anything i put that fire out it lights up again in a junkyard later now i've risked a fire somewhere else uh, that that car lights up on the back of a tow truck and now i've created a, a hazard somewhere else. So those are my risks. But the moment life becomes involved uh, or the massive destruction of property, everything goes out the window. And yes, we have to address the major hazard first. If you've got life involved, put the fire out. Put the fire out, keep it at bay until the life hazard is assessed and we're good to go. And then we can continue our operation from there. So you talk about a parking garage, man, that's gonna be a really, really, really shitty day you got to get that car out of a parking garage. You got to start having community awareness 
where places are not allowing EV cars to charge in the basement of parking garages anymore. But yeah. this is where the community outreach of the fire department starts to come into play. This is where your chiefs of department or your union leaders have to start making contact with your, your city council or your governing bodies and be like, this is a serious problem that needs to be addressed right now. We cannot allow, for example, EV cars to charge inside a parking garage. Maybe up top, top floor, good to go. Hey, great, whatever you guys wanna decide, that's fine. But these are the steps that we have to take now. If we have a fire in there, put the fire out, get it out. And then when it reignites, let it keep going. So Mike, let me ask you this. Um, and I, I'm, I'm trying to equate this in, in my simple mind, almost to like a marina fire. Sometimes if we have a, a big sport fish or a motor yacht, whatever else is off, sometimes it's more beneficial for us to remove the hazard from the scene than to fight the hazard on the scene. So are, are you kind of saying that we do like an initial knockdown and if we can move it, say on a flatbed or whatever and take it to a safe place and dump the damn thing off in a empty parking lot somewhere and if it reignites then we can take care of it without any exposure is, is that a reasonable tactic or what what do you recommend i know it, it's based on kind of the circumstances but what what are your thoughts on that it depends <laughs> i knew you <laughs> thank you for clarifying that sir no problem <laughs> clear as mud mofo clear as mud no it's it, it, it and it does it depends right you have to and this is the this is the this is the difficult part that technicians face when they come up against fire department questions because fire department they want clear-cut answers right if that's why this, that, then that, that if this then that that's why this it depends drives people absolutely insane Incident commanders want to just rip my head off when I'm like, it depends. But it really does depend because you need you need to have that full all hazard awareness to be able to make your risk based analysis. And you need to take the steps that are available to you, available to your community, available to your department, which everybody is different. Everyone has different resources. Everyone has different manpower. Everyone has different needs. Everyone has access to different things. You need to be able to know what is your capabilities are and then act accordingly. Is it possible to, to tow away a vehicle to a safe spot? I don't know. Are you going to be, do you have a, a tow truck operator willing to take something that's going to spontaneously combust on well, his rig? You can even add in the, the DOT. So if you go into 49 DOT, which is a book that's about yay big, um, that has a lot to say about transporting hazardous materials. Now, it also says if you ever get your, your haunches up and you want to put it into the bathroom or something like that and, get, and really nestle in uh, and read the first section, it gives an exemption for emergency responders. Now, that sounds amazing. Oh, shit, we got, a, we got our own niche. We can just do what we want. Not really. There are some parameters where you must be between because now you can't go to, let's say, an overturned tractor trailer or a saddle tank that's leaking and take the fuel back to the firehouse. You're not certified to transport fuels. So there is not only the, the SOP problem and the perception problem and the reality problem, but now there comes legality problem. Like if you're the incident commander of that and you say, yeah, we're, we're going to put this on a, on a flatbed. And someone goes, you can't do that. It's illegal. Are you going to be like, dude, you see my front piece? They're going to be like, I don't give a shit about your front piece. I can't put that on the road because somebody's going to lock me up. Right. You know, so or, like, or it does light up. Who's paying for my truck? 
Yeah, and and these things, just for perspective, these cells go off at about anywhere from let's call it fifteen hundred C Celsius. We talk about like when steel softens and elongates and stuff like that. Steel liquefies and turns to a liquid at twenty one hundred C. So we're talking about it doesn't just liquefy, it doesn't just soften. I'm talking you turn it into a puddle. So we're talking that these cells have the potential of melting the truck. Yeah, and they melt battery compartments, battery cases all the time. We show up on scene and we can see where the the cells that have blowtorched are because the metal battery compartment is gone. Now, granted, it's usually aluminum, right? And I could I could you know, take aluminum away with a lighter in enough time, but still that's a significant amount of energy being released all at once. You know, we're, we're seeing, uh, I remember one of the last fires I saw was, um, it was a four story walk up. Um, and the guy was repairing, um, batteries for like bikes. Uh, so he would, you know, he would buy Mike's uh, battery that had four cells that were bad. He would take Bobby's battery that had 17 cells that were bad. He would unsolder them, resolder them together, and he would sell them on the, on the side of the street for, you know, 150 bucks. And, and he was a hero. And he had thousands of cells in there. And and I saw it. If, if I'm telling the story because it's almost unbelievable, is that it was such a hot fire that the windows melted and they fell into the room, plastic on the ceiling. And I've seen fires that were extraordinarily hot. But the difference is when you went and pulled the ceilings and you pulled the walls, it was just the paper of the sheetrock. The sheetrock wasn't exposed and nothing behind it. So it was such an incredibly hot fire for an incredibly short duration that it incinerated the entire room and gave the guy fourth-degree burns. I'm talking bone burns. In his because he was in the room, but no fire past the extent uh, the sheetrock. So these fires are unique, they are unicorns, and they're becoming much, much more prevalent with just statistics. And also, Amazon had uh scooters on, on sale, so get your get your scooter for cheap. <laughs> yeah, you get your scooter and then you go back to YouTube, <laughs> yeah, <for the> batteries. <laughs> So. I'm like fireworks coming in, baby. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, since we've kind of already started the transition from electric vehicle, like, like electric cars, let's talk about the mobility devices that you know. I think are real. Or I don't think I know are very common in New York City. Um, as far as the scooters, the one wheels, all that kind of stuff. Um, something that uh, in our in our travels in our family life. We were going to pick up my sister-in-law at College Park in Maryland. And, uh, you know, it, those kind of things I think are going to be incredibly common uh, if they aren't already on college campuses because they, they, you don't need a car necessarily to drive around College Park. You can hop on a scooter, hop on a one-wheel, hop on a whatever, and get it to where you need. It's easier. You don't have to worry about parking. Um, but what what about responses for those? And, you know, what are you, what are you guys seeing as far as handling that? You know, I just I was just talking to a friend of ours last night, and he is the uh, on the hazmat team at a incredibly large United States university, very very prestigious. And he says that the PhDs that are doing like research are parking and charging their their e bikes and their scooters and the, you know their personal devices 
in the flam lab. Holy shit. I'm like, he's like, no, no, we can't do that. They're like, we're PhDs. He's like, I don't give a shit if you're God. Get that crap yeah. out of here. <laughs> like, you're not stopping this fire right. from coming out. And when it comes, there's no timeouts and there's no do-overs. I, when it comes, I will it's coming. Stop it with my doctorate. Yeah, yeah. just there you go. No, yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. But well, it's it's an evolving thing. Like, um, I think, and again, this is this is just the personal thing, is I don't see you know, you got the you got everything from the big stuff, like the installations. Like buildings, like entire floors of thing, and people are ha- panic about that. I'm not panic about that. When those things get installed, there there's a million eyes that see the plans. They overthink it. They think it again. They talk to other outside consultants. Nothing's happening. Teslas, yeah, you got the idiot factor. Once it leaves the factory, you got guys that are jumping curbs and crashing into walls with the Teslas. You can't prevent that, but it's engineered well. You got Makitas, Dewalts. Uh, rigid, all these power tools, you don't see it with that because it's quality. Where you're seeing it is on e-bikes, hoverboards, and that kind of stuff because first off, people beat the crap out of them. And second off, it's bought at the lowest possible number. Your kid buys a freaking e-bike and he's, he breaks the battery and he says, oh, I need a new battery. Well, I could buy the, the factory one for $600 or I could buy this one off of eBay for 40 bucks. What is he going to buy? To buy the forty dollar one, and that doesn't come with overload protection. Doesn't call, come with any digital type of circuitry or anything like that. It's just basically hot rotted right into the battery sack pack. And then when it overcharged or whatever the hell it is, you're looking at a fire. And that's that is not a question. That's not even like a well, you don't know that. I'm telling you, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, like, and that's that's, that's that, true. That those batteries making the constant shake and the impact. You know, the, the way these things are designed, imagine taking extraordinarily volatile chemicals and separating them with tissue paper and then rolling up, rolling them up really tight and then just putting them together in a container and, and shaking them around. Right. Yeah. We, we often say that babies and batteries are alike. If you shake them enough, they stop working. So you have to be so careful with all of the, the chemistry that's in there. Uh, Bob's the only one laughing. These guys don't make baby jokes. <laughs> I'm looking around. He's laughing at that. I think that's funny. I think that's a good so, one. So, um, you know, you, 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 you start to wear away the insides of these with mechanical, and then you add on the electrical component to it as well, even a well-made battery. To, to Bob's point, they're not seeing well-made batteries. They're seeing shit batteries. And then on top of that, what they're using to charge the batteries with are not the computer assisted things, the battery management systems that should be being used for these. A good battery management system is going to put a temperature probe on every single battery. It's going to monitor every single battery. It's going to balance the charging on every single battery so that no, there I am in screen, so that no battery charges or undercharges at different rates. They all do it together right. because if you if you have a battery that's charged here and a battery that's charged here, if you don't have a good battery management system, by the time this one fills up, this one still needs to fill, and now you're going to overcharge to get this one filled. That is electrical abuse to the battery. It's going to cause failure. So you start to add all these little things together. It's not just the shitty batteries. It's also the shitty batteries with the shitty chargers, the shitty chargers with the shitty abuse. And now we're starting to see, you know, there was a big push 
during COVID for people to get these transportation things. And now we're starting to see a year or two later, the the, the chargers are no good. They're starting to fail. The batteries are, are have been abused. They're starting to fail. So we are in we we are exactly where we should be in that time curve for for things failing yeah now now let me ask you this i mean because a lot of these devices are for an individual use per se what what are you guys seeing as the prevalence of you know when people charge these devices they're putting them in private dwellings multifamily dwellings uh we had one probably about six weeks ago where uh, somebody had a scooter inside their apartment building next to a baby crib because that's where the outlet was. And, you know, they don't want anyone to steal their shit. So what what's the prevalence of, uh, you know, private dwelling fires, multiple family dwelling fires that are resulting out of people charging these things? I mean, is that something that we should consider well, as part of our response? We're lucky in New York City that there's just a tremendous amount of area in real estate. So these houses and apartments are huge. And a fire in one area doesn't have any effect anywhere in the in the other part of the apartment. I'm being totally sarcastic. I was gonna say, like, what are you what (laughs) they are? They are teeny itty bitty little spaces for you know three grand a month. You're getting a bathroom size apartment, and 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 they're 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 putting these things in there where we are seeing, right? If you think about just what they're designed to be, yes, we get mobility devices that burst into flames while they're in use. It happens, right? Usually the guy ditches his battery and runs, or they ditch the scooter and they run. But they're few and far between compared to the the things that are going off inside dwellings. They're going off inside of dwellings. They're going off while they're being charged. You get We're like seeing... the delivery guy that's going to do one more delivery, and he says, all right, give it to me. I'll take it on the way home. So he swaps out his battery, puts the battery on charge in the place. They close the roll down, and he takes off, and then the battery goes on fire, and you have a fire in a taxpayer or, or you know a, a mercantile. And you're like, what happened? It was the battery again. Like so, and these batteries are not sh- not small. Like we have, I know in Baltimore, you guys got like the the lime and those type of scooters. We got Revel. Right, R R E V L, uh, and and so one day we were driving the rigs around the city, and we saw the Revel truck out. We're like, "Holy shit, let's stop this guy!" So we pull him over, and and we get out, and we're like, "Hey, uh, show us the back." He's like, "Am I in trouble?" No, no, just show us the back. He opens the back, and it's got like an A frame, like a like a granite countertop type A frame kind of thing, and he pulls this rack out, and he's got like sixty motorcycle batteries on this rack and all he does is he drives around and he swaps them out all day right so he swaps these things out and so there's 60 batteries on this vehicle and we're like holy crap it's a lot and he goes i said so what, what do you what do you do when you're done he's like well i drive to the bronx and i pull into this warehouse and i plug it in this four shore powers on the side of this thing and we just plug in the thing and then the next morning we come back because they're all charged and we go out and do it again how many trucks are in this place there's probably like 60 or 70 of them. This is a non-marked, indiscriminate warehouse in the middle of the Bronx that has 60 bat- sixty vehicles with 60 batteries. You pull up in that thing, it's not even going to be a fire. It's going to be a Roman candle. Like It's going to be like your magnesium fire, you said. It's going to be off the charts hot. And, and what are you going to do? Like, what is your, ta- what are you thinking about? So like a lot of these things that we're talking about right now should start off as 
conversations around the ki- the kitchen table saying, what are we doing if the Bronx happens? Like I just said, what is your plan? Are you, are you staging two blocks away? Are we getting, you know, um, unique water sources on, on every available engine? Are we going to relay? Is that even a possibility? Are we doing roof ops? We, all these things should be played in because it is not a question if. It is happening. It's going to come. Cheers. Wow. <laughs> Just wow. <laughs> First of all, Mike, I really appreciate your uh, example of how the battery shakes. That was pretty good. And uh, Thank you. Speaks well for you. Um, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so I had heard. I mean, we had heard a little bit about that. That, that New York is actually running maybe two or three of these fires a day uh, with these chargeable scooters and things. And, and all I could picture was you know, the New York Dutch oven or otherwise a tenement block hallway. Are these things like stacked in these hallways in your tenements and stuff, or is that so what they're doing when they're charging they're, them up? They're generally not in the hallway because if you put it in the hallway, they're going to be stolen. So they're okay. actually inside the apartment. Nine out of ten times, eight out of ten times, they are either, oh, sorry, 50% of the time, they're going to be in front of the door. So their only means of egress for the apartment minus the window is now on fire. Or it's right next to the bed just because that's the only other spot, you know, under the bed, in the bed, in the bedroom being charged with the other seven mobility devices they have, plus your cell phone, all off of a power cord, because there's one outlet in the room. That power cord is also charging the TV, the computer, the laptop, and all the other electronics. So <laughs> right right there, you may not realize it, but right there, you have a massive problem because the voltage for these things to be charged needs to be almost exact and almost constant. And even with a decent battery management system, if you don't have the proper voltage going to the system, that voltage can't be stepped down properly. That step down can't be can't be given to the batteries the right way, and you end up with electronic abuse. So even with all the other stuff that we're saying, there's so, a lot of other factors going on. So what you're saying is Salvo retired because it looked part of a losing team i don't want to be dealing with that <laughs> stuff that stuff happens all the- i'm not running for that crap. <laughs> that's true that is true truest thing we said all night <laughs> so I, I think one of the things that we kind of touched on a little bit at the beginning was a, a good pr thing for the from the departments what are some things that we could take away and maybe add into that as far as if you're going to charge it make sure it's it's like your fridge you plug it directly into the wall you don't do it in a in a means of egress um you, you don't do it in your in your home period um you know what are some what are some of the things that we should really you know think about as far as the charging of those well uh, the, best the, first thing, the first thing you need to do is realize that um all of these everything you're going to do is going to land on deaf ears depending on if you're in a blue state or a red state uh, because believe it or not, now politics is starting to play a role. And we're seeing this, I believe, my personal opinion, we're seeing this play out in New York City where nobody actually wants to talk about it because lithium ion batteries are supposed to be the salvation of the future. So um, we have a, even, right? So NYCHA, which is the organization that covers public housing, 
New York City it, Housing Authority. The New York City Housing Authority. It took them almost a full year to ban scooters going into apartment buildings. And even then, there was pushback from the restaurant community. And there was a band placed on the band until it got to the point that they didn't have a choice. And even then, there's nobody actually, you know, uh, enforcing the regulation, right? Uh, it's very difficult for, for, for a public service announcement to be made outside of the, the fire department turning around saying, hey, hey, don't do this. But, you know, the fire department in the past has done phenomenal jobs of fire prevention outreach. So I know in New York, October is a very big fire prevention month, not just in the city, but in the statewide. So this really needs to become part of a, a fire prevention message as well, right? We we burn the Christmas, my local fire department burns the Christmas trees and they, they light the oven on fire and they show, you know, don't put water on an oil fire and, and all that stuff. Well, it's time to start adding the message of these lithium ion batteries and the dangers of these lithium ion batteries. That's the community outreach that the fire department needs to be doing. And, and Mike, that, that, I think that's kind of amazing, too, because, you know, most of us, because we're very operationally minded, don't even think about the you know, legislative or, polit or political uh, point behind that. And um, I think that's very important to understand, too, because if it doesn't fit a certain narrative, it might not be popular. But that's that's the calls that, that well, not me, but that you guys are dealing with day in and day out. And um, have you found an effective way to get that message across or is it just keep hammering away at it and hopefully you know somebody it resonates with somebody what's your thought low man totem pole i i can't do anything i'm a firefighter i i've got no no political sway in my department in any way shape or form nevertheless my city indirectly we can because we have a podcast but yeah we're doing this we do we do this kind of stuff and i get that but where, where, where i guess where i'm coming from is the wisdoms in the trenches because you know the further you're separated from being in the trenches and seeing it day to day, um, you know, you, you can be part of being a talking head. But if it's not really factual, then, you know, you're part of the problem and not part of the solution. So do you see anything from the boots on the ground level that can be done to get this message out there? What we're doing now is just talking about it, being at conferences, spreading the word to the people who are not in the trenches, which are the ones that generally attend the conferences. Uh, and, and making them aware that it's out there. And the awareness on the department level is, is spiking. I mean, I can't even tell you, Bob, in the past two months, how many requests have we had for our battery class? Insane. 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 Like, we, we have like one or two a week for the next wow. like four months. And to go to company, you know, San Diego, Boston, Boston, wherever it is, that like come in here and show us how to do this stuff because like – just spit it at us because we have to we have to get in front of this and they're listening in those classes we're yeah. seeing fire marshals chiefs of department commissioners of department so like they're they are actively listening once you're like hey this is a problem once the numbers overwhelm them and once they are aware of the situation they are listening once it gets past chief of department and you start talking about you know city local politics, municipal yeah. politics I have no answer for that. That's that's beyond my paycheck. But there, the the departments are listening. You know what? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it a little sideways if you guys don't mind, because I I am honestly 
shocked that you guys maybe haven't gotten around to asking us yet, but like, how do you handle these things? And so that is like the question of the ages, because as things come out and as things are happening, we're, the, the evolution of what we're doing is changing almost on a daily basis. And, and anybody, I, I want to say this very plainly to everybody that's listening is anybody that says they know what's going on. They're all full of shit. <laughs> everybody where we are building the planes we fly it, as I say all the time, it is an evolving thing on a daily basis. So like when you're going to that multiple dwelling, that apartment fire, and you're going to be putting out an, uh, you know, an E battery fire, be prepared for like the first 10 minutes of platoon. It is going to be the worst fire you've ever been to because these things are not even in the same realm. When you, when you tell people, Hey, listen, I crawl down hallways and it's a, you know, 800, a thousand degrees. And then they're like, Oh, that's cool. And you're like, your, your oven in your kitchen maxes out of 500. And it puts it in perspective, like, Holy crap, that's hot. And then you say, I go down a hallway or I'm trying to go down a hallway with a two and a half, with an inch and a quarter, and you're doing it at 1500 C. You're talking about 2000 degrees. Be prepared for the worst day of your, your, your career because this can melt aluminum to the ground. This can melt cinder block. I'm telling you, things that you assume can't go on fire will go on fire. And so the common, common thing is, okay, we get into this fire and we have all these batteries. What are we doing with this? Right, Mike? All the times, fire companies in New York City, everywhere, they're like, what do you do with this? And the, and the honest answer, this is my personal thing, is fill up the bathtub, put them in the water. Because I have a million gallons of water. I can just call for water and it's there. But there's other products that are out there, and I'm still not totally sold on it personally. That they, I, I kind of feel it's a little bit of snake oil, but it has application. Is that there's products out there that may be able to make it a little lighter or give you a couple of benefits, but water, water everywhere. And so, right. as long as the guys know that if you're in a bathroom and it's eight by eight by eight and you're putting these batteries in there, they are giving off hydrogen, and hydrogen in a small space is explosive. And so, ventilation is a concern. So if they just go, okay, I understand this is happening. Let's put the fog up. Let's move some air around in here while these things are moving. That's cool because that's not the end game. We're going to have to pick them up. We're going to have to get them out of the water, get them down the 70 floors or whatever the hell it is. And you have to put them out in the street. And so what's your plan on that? And that's a story that's much longer than this podcast can go because that is a story we can spend freaking hours on just how to handle the fires. It's, it's a, and I think there's there's some key operations stuff. Um, you know, at, what Bob was was definitely getting at was that this is a multi-step operation, right? There is no you do this and everything is fine. Yeah. You uh, have your initial companies that need to first recognize that there's a battery present in the room, even if the battery wasn't involved, right? You need to make sure that there's no batteries there, and if the batteries are present. You need to get them out of your way all while never taking off your SCBA because there's not enough time in this operation to realize the batteries are going to go bad and put your SCBA on and be fine. So even during the initial search phases, if we find batteries, that needs to be addressed. When the fire goes out, 
before those guys start ripping the room apart, we need to address any batteries that might be on the ground because the last thing we want to do is overhaul a room that now has batteries at the bottom. You're going to see rekindle after rekindle after rekindle. And even even the like oh well my four I have a four gas meter, and you said hydrogen so hydrogen is the Hindenburg that's flammable. Okay, so my meter will go off. Not always, and right. I, that's again more than we have time for here. But that high, your your four gas meter will read it not correctly, and it will come up on the carbon monoxide channel, and it might not come up on the flammable channel, and so. <clears throat> um, that's going to confuse the crap out of the guys in, in, in the engines and trucks. They're like, wait a second. You told me that this is supposed to work when, when, when it's flammable. Kind of, kind of. So yeah. some retraining is going to have to be done at the basic level to prepare these guys for this evolving scenario. So I got, I got one question for you. I know we're getting late. Um, so I assume that if this battery has lit off in a, say a scooter, that if it's already lit off, we're not going to actually have the battery fire. We're going to have the structure fire afterwards because they burn off so quickly. So my question is, so is now the odor of smoke, the electrical odor, does that raise that call to like another level of awareness for us that, that you know, as our, as our people are going through there, we always kind of, you know, at least here we fight back about being ready, but they're often treated as a nuisance call. And yeah, uh, cool. so how would she handle, you know, should we, think differently about odors of smoke and electrical odors that were dispatched well, let's be real right let's pretend like our chiefs aren't listening let's pretend like osha isn't listening let's pretend like nfpa isn't listening right no they're not uh no they, they probably are unfortunately um i'll get a phone call from somebody that's like yeah. hey you can't fish you can't tell people that uh, all right let's talk reality when do you put your mask on in a fire legit when you know there's a you know there's a fire when i can't breathe anymore right right, right? Are, are we are we going to pretend like that doesn't happen are we really going to pretend that so i'm going in for an odor of smoke i'm going in for food on the stove well i don't wear my mask for food on the stove i probably should i'm not saying it's the right thing to do i'm saying it what ha it's what happens so if i don't have a fire and i have a scooter or i've got a room full of smoke well that's the light haze Right, with a light haze, you're like, still breathing ah. in HF. You're still breathing in the volatile organic compounds. You're still breathing in the PFO3s. You're just, still breathing just in Just for the perspective, because he said that, and you don't, HF is hydrofluoric acid, which is probably the boogeyman of hazmat. Just to put it in perspective, this is 1% of your body surface area. If you get HF on 1% of your body surface area at 70%, you are dead, period. Like it is, there's no timeouts, no coming back from that one. So like HF is what's given off by these batteries. That's crazy. Yeah, it, that is a level A, like HF is a level A job. There's very few things that we turn around as far as me and Bob are concerned that we're going to say, yeah, we're going to use a level A. Hydrofluoric acid and HF is a level A job. So, you know, we're, we have to educate our, our operations guys and being like, no, 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 you don't understand this idea and concept that I'm going to put my mask on when I can't breathe. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't work for this situation. It's not like a food on the stove where you're just going to be blowing nasty shit out of your nose for a couple of days and, and you might have a headache. You have to wear your mask. Well, guys, let me ask you this. Um, and I'm going to ask you to put 
your 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 uh, officer hat on or like your senior man hat on. If I'm the FNG, the fucking new guy on your shift, or I'm a company level officer who came up, I'm the, I'm the engine boss or truck boss, and say, hey, uh, you guys understand this hazmat stuff better than I do. What what would you tell that it, that FNG or if you if you were giving advice to somebody, and which you have already touched on a lot of that, but if if I'm the new guy on your shift. What are you going to tell me? Put the long arm on me and tell me what you expect when we go to these calls and how you expect me to respond. Because I think the ninety nine, the other ninety nine percent of the universe is responding to these calls like we're literally. I don't mean this derogatory in, in any way, but we're responding to these as a bunch of rookies, and we look at the SMEs, the subject matter experts, to give us some guidance. So, um, in the un, in the most unvarnished way possible, you know. To tell me how if, if if you if I was coming on your scene, how would you direct me to uh, respond on this? I, I would say, do not cut any corners. There are no shortcuts at this point in our learning of this whole hazard. So if we're everybody's saying meter them and vent them and carry them carefully and to, do all the steps. There are no shortcuts to be taken at this point. Anybody that gets relaxed and says, ah, you don't need to do that. Ah, you don't need to bring this meter. Ah, you don't. That's the shortcuts that were going to trip us up. So do the full service every time. And then maybe next year, maybe two years, maybe five years, we'll go, all right, we really didn't have to do that. We don't have to do this anymore. And and hold each other accountable. Like I've gotten to the point now that we're doing this so much that I, I started being a little lackadaisical. And my captain had to pull me off to the side the other day. And he's like, listen, he's like, I, I don't want to freaking, I don't want to critique you. He's like, but you didn't have your mask on. You weren't wearing your gloves. And I was like, you're right, Cap. Like I can't, I can't be preaching this and then, and then not doing it as well. So we have to hold each other accountable and we have to be okay holding each other accountable and being like, listen, man, I, I know it sucks. We've just done this five times. Throw your mask on, put your hood on even though it's, you know, August 95 degrees and it looks like this battery is burnt to completion. Do it right. Do it right the first time. Cause God forbid. And he, he was a hundred percent right. One cell. It takes one cell that didn't, that didn't burn in the initial burn and it goes off in my face. And I'm going to be really sorry. I wasn't properly protected. Awesome stuff. Like all of it. Like I, I I've told these guys before, um, you know, I've, I've been looking forward to this since since I first reached out and you know, we were setting this up. There's there's a little hazmat nerd inside of me, and it is just like jumping for joy right now. Um, so thank you guys. That that the whole show was awesome. A lot of really great information. Um, since we're you know we're right at that hour, let's go ahead and um, go around the the horn again. Some final thoughts, some last little nuggets, and then we'll uh, we'll sign off of here. Uh, Trevor, why don't you go first? Uh, yeah, Trevor, you go first. All right, great. Um, Mike Salo, thank you guys so much for coming on tonight and just giving us the you know the straight scoop on everything. And you know, that's what I was really hoping for out of this whole exchange tonight. And you know, what you guys just said in the last few seconds, not only the last hour, but the last few seconds, is you know, every time you you go on a call, go like you're ready to go to work. And you know, I try to employ that same philosophy, whether we're going on a smells and bells in a high rise. You know, I tell them, you know, nobody invited you for breakfast. You park like you're going to work. You you show up like you're going to work each and every time. And, uh, Mike, you're absolutely right. And I think that no matter what level we're at, whether you're, you know, a, a 20-year guy, a two-year guy, a, you know, captain, whatever glitter shit you have in your collar, 
we hold each other accountable and you know, we we put our you know, we put our uh, ego and attitude at the door because at the end of the day we're trying to keep each other safe and make sure we go home and we take care of the instant as you know, as well as we possibly can and guess what we get complacent we get lazy we get tired um you know whatever the case is so uh you know with that being said i think you guys have given us some phenomenal information tonight um looking forward to the feedback that we get from this because uh, again, we're, we uh, most of us don't have the reps and sets that you guys are getting right now. So we're going to look to you for that vital information to pass along to us. And uh, you know, I really appreciate the fact that you're you're upholding that tradition in the fire service that you're taking what you learn and saying, "Hey guys, here's the good, the bad, and the ugly of my last call. If it helps you, great. If not, you know, whatever it is. But uh, you know, you got you guys are doing the deal, man. So." Uh, you know, thank you again for being on the show and you know, trading some of those nuggets with us and our audience. Mike Wood? Cuddles, if you will. Cuddles. <laughs> Cuddles. Uh, Mike, Salvo, thank you guys so much, man. I took more notes tonight than I have in a long time. So you uh, burn that shit. That dude takes notes. I put my phone on it when I charge it tonight. Um, no, in all seriousness, this, we're kind of on the frontier with it all, just like you guys said, and, um, and we're going to learn as we go. Uh, but it's, it's extremely dangerous. It's extremely deadly. It's a real threat. And, uh, the boots in the field need to know everything that we can provide them about it. And, um, that's why I'm sitting here scribbling so much because, there's there's so much that we know, but there's so much that we don't know. And it all, you know, we, we have to put it out to them as as we get it. You know, it's 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 constantly evolving. It's 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 almost a living plan, so to speak. But, um, you know, I also heard some some really good ideas from you guys for um, ways to try to get ahead of this. And of course, this comes to mind. I know we talked about the politics involved. Um, I hate that. It drives me bonkers that we have to deal with it. But, you know, we're in the month of fire prevention and we go around to all the schools, uh, as I'm sure you guys do up there uh, in FDNY. We do it in Baltimore. We do it down here in Ocean City. Um, and of course, we're always talking about your smoke detectors and we're always talking about your escape plans for your house. And um, and then we kind of we go over the stop, drop and roll and and we call it a day. Right. You put Sparky, the fire dog in front of them and uh, check that box. This sounds to me like something that needs to go into fire prevention all around the country yeah. right away. Um, and this is the school teacher in me of years past coming back out. But change in society begins with the youth. And if we're if we're preaching about all these electronics, how they need to be properly charged, how they need to be properly maintained and taken care of, if we're if we're preaching this in schools then we are going to see that waterfall effect as it works its way down. So yep. that, that's just something that popped into my mind because we're, you know, we're going to a school tomorrow to, to talk about uh, fire prevention. And this seems to me, this, this isn't going away anytime soon uh, and it's only going to get worse. So I'll give you a quick a example, during, during a, a quick time. example of civilian pro level response. We had a, a fire in a hotel I guess New York City was hosting a drone race. This was a drone operator. He was very well versed with lithium ion batteries. He was charging his batteries. One of the batteries started catching on fire. He had a fire pouch 
with him because he was a professional. He understood the dangers. He immediately covered and wrapped the thing in the fire pouch. Fire never extended beyond the pouch. No fire in the hotel room. Saved his other batteries. Good to go. All because he was properly educated. Yep, that's it. That's it. Speaks volumes. And um, if we can start instilling some of this knowledge in the youth, and it gets taken home to the parents, uh, uh, you know, it, I'm not saying that that's the end all be all, but you have to start chipping away at it somewhere. And uh, you know, uh, knowledge is power, man. But um, again, Salvo, Mike, I can, a million thank yous. Uh, thank you for all the notes, and thank you for all the. Uh, the nuggets, man. Uh, this is something that we'll be um, uh, peeling away the layers on for a long time. But uh, also, awesome. you've got about seven more hours, we can keep going. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bobby McGee. Hey guys, thanks so much for coming on. I, I'm, I'm insanely interested in all this. To be honest with you, I, I didn't know how much I didn't know until you guys all, you know, started talking. Um, so, so Mike, no longer will I charge my scooter under the Christmas tree next to the can of cooking oil. Uh, I'll change my ways. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to a good friend of ours and a good friend of the show, Greggy Temple. Uh, he's just accepted a job as a fire chief in, um, I think, Spring Hill, Tennessee. Uh, so the best of luck and congratulations to him. Uh, I also really want to thank uh, Wichita Fools, uh, the Wichita, Wichita Hot organization wichita fire department um and we did our training at, at hutchinson fire academy and also their fire school for the fire department and they were amazing people to work with with amazing facilities and uh nothing but good things to say about that experience out there uh, we were rolling out a brand new class and it couldn't have gone any smoother without with their help um and you know this is great and uh, we have to have you guys on again you start figuring out solutions to all this, we'll get you back on again. How about that? <laughs> well, the only way we're going to figure out solutions is if there's a nationwide conversation back and forth. And that's what we've been trying to do. That's what's been happening on our end. We're hearing stories back of people that are doing stuff. What happened? What went right? What went wrong? We've been sharing ours. What went wrong? What went right? Um, and that's the only way we're going to come up because we can't we can't wait for the government to do something because you know, even the EPA and OSHA and DOT, they are kind of waiting for us to start putting things down on paper. It's going to be a very long time before anything official comes down. Yeah. Yeah. Salvo, you got some final thoughts? I got I got one quick thing. Beware the gambler's uh, fallacy. Okay. The gambler's fallacy is if I flip a coin four times and it comes up heads every single time and I go, hey, Mike Wood. What's the next one? You're like, dude, it's got to come up tails. It's come up heads every single time. Every time it's 50-50. So don't assume any operation is, oh, I've seen this before. This is not fire department. This is batteries. This is hazmat. Everyone's different. So don't fall into the gambler's fallacy. I'll leave you on that one. Thanks for inviting us on, and I had my drink. Thank you. Yeah, can you can you hold that bottle up one more time? I did pretty good tonight. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah. Not bad. That's I mean, that's less than a day. I'll finish up tonight. Proud of you. <sighs> that's impressive. I've been working on that for a while. Yeah, about an hour. I noticed I see the beads building up on his forehead. I'm still articulate, though. I can still enunciate. Yeah. It's impressive. 
You're, You're not putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again. Cheers, everybody. Stay Cheers safe. You, we'll, see you. we'll see you in two weeks. Um, before we go, if you want more from the Hazmat guys, go check out their website, podcast, shows. They have premium content. Um, the HazmatGuys.com. I tell you, you cannot go wrong with uh, the stuff that they're putting out. It's great stuff. So, again, thank you, guys. We appreciate your time, and we'll see you soon. All right.